Welcome to More Than A Few Words, the marketing podcast for small business owners. My name is Lorraine Ball, and I help small businesses become big businesses. And this morning, I've got one of my friends in the studio. I'm really excited. Eric Deckers is joining us. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. We are so excited you could be here. And also, uh, hanging out and managing the Twitter stream is our very talented Allison Carter. Good morning, everyone. Allison is still laughing because um, uh, Eric Deckers has just discovered what the rest of us already know. She is the female incarnation of Robbie Slaughter. For those of you that are here in Indianapolis and know Robbie, you know that these two share um, a biting wit, a little bit of sarcasm, and... I think the same parents. <laughs> and that'll be perfectly in our discussion of personal branding. Absolutely. We're going to be talking today about personal branding. Um, Eric, as we get started, why don't you tell folks just a little bit about who you are and some of the books you've written? Okay. Uh, well, I own a, a small company here in Indianapolis called Professional Blog Service, and we're a corporate ghost blogging and social media management company. Um, I also co-authored uh, Branding Yourself in 2010 and co-authored No Bullshit Social Media in 2011. Awesome. And if you have questions for Eric during the show, you have several options. You can uh, put them on Twitter. Be sure to use the hashtag pound MTFW and Allison will relay them to Eric. We do have a chat room launched, so if you're on the Blog Talk Radio site, you can chat with us directly there, or you can call in at 805-285-9865. If you're just listening, that's cool. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, be sure to push the one key. That'll signal me that you've got a question. Okay, getting started. Why don't we start with personal branding, talk a little bit about that, and then make the transition to more kind of the corporate um, side of social media, which I think is really where no bullshit comes in. Um, so, personal branding. Who am I on social media? How should somebody get started? Well, it's ultimately the person who you are, assuming you are being your best self, and it's the person you want to be known as. Uh, and I think it's important to make the distinction that it's the same person you are in real life. That should be who you are striving to, to portray in social media. So if you're a kind and helpful person in real life, you want to be a kind and helpful person online. If you're a jerk in real life, maybe you should reexamine some of your life choices and try to be a nicer person in general so that carries over to online. But I, 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 think, that, I think that's something people struggle with is there are things I might say in real life. Um, that it's hard on social media because you don't catch the nuance. You don't catch the um, the roll of the eyes um, or the wink that sort of tells people in real life that I'm, I'm not being serious. How do you sort of manage a sense of humor in your personal branding? Well, um, and I do this anyway because I am a humor writer, so I try to have a, a sense of humor as part of my brand. And so I think people tend to know that you know, half of what I say, they shouldn't be taken seriously anyway. But uh, and as, as teenage girl as it sounds, even a little winky emoticon makes a big difference. You know, even even little clues and cues like that uh, can make a big difference. So, you know, anything that will show that I'm being funny 
uh, helps. Uh, sometimes showing photos of the funny thing I'm thinking about helps. Awesome. And uh, I, I think I had found that balance as I started to use social media, but went through kind of a branding crisis earlier last year because I've been round peg for four years and made a decision as the company was growing that I couldn't be round peg anymore and had to start over again as Lorraine Ball. Um, it's been easy to get the Lorraine Ball account going because she is me. Um, and it's kind of fun because I can be even maybe more sarcastic because I'm not representing my company anymore. Mm -hmm. But now finding the, the brand for Roundpeg has been a little bit of a challenge. Right. And, and for a small business owner or an entrepreneur, that's, that's as you discovered, that's an easy thing to do. You could be Roundpeg because you were Roundpeg. Ask anybody in town who Roundpeg was and they go, well, it's Lorraine. Or ask who's Lorraine and they go, well, she's Roundpeg. So for the entrepreneur, that is, that's almost an advisable strategy, but it also doesn't hurt to, to at least have that other account in your back pocket so that one day you can pull that out and start using it. There will be people whose companies grow, and that's a decision they, they do have to make after a few years. There will be people who will always be that company brand uh, because they're just always going to be a one-person operation. And so they should keep it, but it doesn't hurt to have that second one just in case. I would recommend grabbing your name as soon as possible, regardless of what else. And that's what I did was I grabbed Lorraine Ball because there's this annoying woman in England who has my name. And when you search Google, um, there I am on the front page where I'm supposed to be under Lorraine Ball, and she keeps showing up on my page. Really? Yeah. You know, once or twice. I mean, she's like a lawyer at Oxford, you know, a professor, whatever. It, Lorraine Ball is my personal brand. That's right. And so I wanted to make sure I owned it on Twitter, even if I didn't ever have plans to use it. Well, there are three Belgians named Eric Deckers. I can see that. I own those guys on, on Google. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about taking your brand across social media, not just not just owning it on Twitter, but, but what do you do really to own it in the in the broad spectrum of the social community and the Internet? Well, I... I only focus on a few tools. I mean, there, there are thousands out there, and if there's one that seems to be uh, somewhat interesting, somewhat has the potential to become something important, I will go out and grab my name immediately, even if I never use it again. And so it will always be a variation on my Twitter name or my name. And that way I at least have it in case it takes off one day. Um, but I focus on those few tools, and I connect with the people who are most important in those areas. So on Twitter, it is people in social media or people in Indianapolis. On LinkedIn, it's uh, people who are in my industry or an industry that I want to serve. And on Facebook, it's family and friends. So I always try to make sure that I'm, I'm being consistent in, you know, in being that kind and helpful person, sharing information uh, on all of those networks. Um, I'm connecting with the people that I should be connecting with on all of those networks. And so if I'm a friend with somebody in my industry, I'll friend them on Facebook, but I won't friend somebody who I have a professional relationship with. So I think that's also important is drawing those boundaries. And I'm actually kind of going back and sort of unfriending, particularly um, uh, on Facebook, I'm not the Facebook generation. I know this might come as a huge surprise to many of our listeners, 
but I actually graduated college before the Facebook era. And um, as a result, when Facebook opened up and it opened up to wider and wider communities, I didn't really get it. Um, I saw it as another LinkedIn or another Twitter where I just sort of, anybody who sent me a friend request, I said, okay, yeah, sure. And now my stream is flooded with information and updates from people I don't know and don't care about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to kind of pull back the reins on that and, and tighten that account down a little bit, keeping it much more for friends and family. And I've got a fan page for my business. I have Twitter accounts. I have LinkedIn and other places to connect. I have a question from our Twitter audience from our good friend and former guest, Aaron Anderson. Good morning, Aaron. What do you suggest in terms of reserving names? You guys mentioned you've got one in England who has the Lorraine Ball name. You've got three in Belgium. I can't even tell you how many Allison Carters there are, let alone even Allison L. Carters, the way that I've boiled it down. What do you do if you have an incredibly common name? Well, uh, you almost have to start thinking about what do you want to be known as professionally. Mm -hmm. uh, if there are lots of Allison Carters, maybe Allison L. Carter. What's the L for? Lee. Lee. So maybe Allison Lee Carter is your quote professional name. That's mm -hmm. that's the name you put on your resume. That's the name you put on any applications, so that when people go to search for you, if they search for Allison Carter and they see the yeah, there's dozens of them. Uh, we'll try the names you put on a resume, and that's what you've been known as. So uh, for that common name, you have to make it a little uncommon. Uh, for some people, that means dropping the first name and going by their second name. That's kind of uh, that, uh, interesting, because that was certainly never, uh, that was not an issue I had growing up or growing in school. Um, uh, it's funny, because Allison, in, in that generation, I mean, I have a niece named Allison, um, I have friends who have daughters, it seems like it was the year of the Allisons. And so um, I know she wrestles with that. Um, I can think of at least three Nick Carters. Um, yep. One of them is famous. One, uh, well, I think it's that. All of them are famous in their own right. Um, but yeah, I think that in those cases, finding either that alternative professional name or, you know, for me, uh, until the business grew, Roundhead was great because that was kind of who I was. And um, on all my professional contacts, I always had that sort of round head pseudonym. Of course, I'm not looking for another job. Yep. Hopefully, Allison, you're not either. Yep. Don't bring me into this. <laughs> okay, so switching over a little bit and talking about as you move from um, personal branding and start moving into social media um, as companies, and this is really more the theme of your your second book, No No Bullshit Social Media, currently available. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Uh, Eric and Jason are both available also for speaking and presentations, talking about the book, and it is um, always a lively and interesting conversation when they do. Uh, just a little hint out there if you've got a gig coming up with a speaker. Um, companies, as they're putting their toe in the water in social media, where do they start? A uh, couple of quick do's and don'ts, not a lot of plus. Go for it. One don't is don't advertise. Don't look at this as one more advertising channel where you can repeat what you're doing on TV and radio and on billboards. One do is that you engage with your customers and talk back to them when they talk to you. Um, as far as where to start, you can start just about anywhere. If you're a B2C company, uh, create a Facebook page, start a Twitter account. If you're a B2B company, create a LinkedIn profile and start a Twitter account. So I. 
I'm a big fan of Twitter. I recommend it. But then the other tool that uh, that you use is a secondary tool. That's going to be one of the two major ones. Also consider blogging. I think blogging is a great way to share information with people and uh, and let them share it with other people. I, um, as, as we're working with a lot of our clients, we push the blogging aspect very heavily because I kind of look at social media like a single club. And you go to the single bar, you want to meet people, but your ultimate goal is to invite your date home. And home is your website. And if you are doing all of this stuff in social media and there's no, nothing more interesting when you come home, there's no reason for someone to leave the realm of social media and come to your website it's harder to convert that prospect into, into a customer. And um, I think blogging gives you something of interest to talk about and to share in, in the world of social media. Well, exactly, because blogging is where you're going to get your deep thoughts and your worldview and, and the most important information. Um, and I remember a year or two ago, people were saying, oh, Twitter's going to kill blogging. And my response was always, if you can summarize your entire worldview in 140 characters, you're not that deep or you're not that interesting. So you've got to have that blog as sort of that anchor. It's that hub of the wheel mm -hmm. of your social media campaign. Oh, I, I definitely think so. I also um, uh, think that as companies are looking at where to spend, a year ago, you know, we were telling people you have to be everywhere, you have to be everywhere. Um, we're dialing back right now and telling people do one really well. What are you seeing as you guys are working with different clients? What kind of advice are you giving businesses about their social media platforms? We've been telling them that for a while. Uh, like I said earlier, there are quite literally thousands and thousands of networks available all around the world. And even trying to maintain a presence on ADA is nearly impossible. You'll never get any of the work done. So pick the ones where your customers are. Mm -hmm. uh, for most of us, for most companies, that's Facebook or LinkedIn or both, <clears throat> but it's typically Facebook or LinkedIn. You might get a little bit of traffic on something like Quora. You might be one of those retail specialty stores that should use Pinterest. You might be a restaurant that can benefit from Foursquare, but for the most part, it's going to be Foursquare and LinkedIn. One of the things that I often tell people is if you've got a large constituency, if you have a lot of customers, Facebook is a great place to be because the people that will find you, Facebook is a great place to connect with people who already know you, even as a business. If you're looking to introduce your brand to a lot of strangers, Twitter is, because of its very open nature, I think works better to kind of go broader. Exactly. Um, and uh, I, I, I find a lot of new companies are disappointed. They throw up a Facebook page and nobody comes. Okay. All right, they did it with their website eight years ago. <laughs> they put it up, no one came. And, yeah, so this whole Internet stuff doesn't work. Yeah. But I think, you know, we're seeing, um, and Allison, you might want to talk to some of that, some of the results that we're seeing with companies that are doing it right. Some of the results that we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, blogging is an incredibly powerful tool. I love it as a way to build expertise, to really show people who you are and how you're different from the see of everybody else that's out there. It's a tremendous way to build traffic and to get people interested in your brand and maybe haven't been paying attention. We recently started doing some blogging for a client and after only 11 days on the case, 
they have already surpassed their previous month's all their previous all-time traffic record on their website. People are coming, they're looking around, not just looking at the blogs, checking out other pages, and really finding who these people are. And it's made possible because they're brought in by that promise of interesting, good, non-self-interested information. I mean, and, and I, th I think that's you know, uh, I think that whole non-self-interest is is really kind of key. You guys do a lot of ghost blogging for lots of clients. How do you bridge the gap between the blogs and social media? What kind of things do you do to engage and bring people to? Well, we, we help grow their networks as well. So we look for people who are their ideal customers. And I know that there have been other companies that they promised, you know, we'll grow your networks quickly. We'll get them up to, you know, 3,000 followers and, and 5,000 fans and things like that. <clears throat> and then what they do is they just join one of those uh, Grow Your Network Fast networks for Twitter, where everybody's following everybody so they can get lots of followers. And then they have, there's one company down in southern Indiana that they would have uh, Facebook parties where they would bring in a lot of high school students, uh, buy them pizza, and say, go recommend these, this page or this client to all your friends and get them to like it. And so... <laughs> Sure enough, we got you. We got you a thousand people to like your page. They're never going to come in. They did it because they were offered something, or because their high school friend asked them. But they're not going to show up. And yeah, you got five thousand Twitter followers, but they're not listening to you because they're too busy pumping out their garbage to all these other people who are pumping out their garbage. So <clears throat> we try to grow people who are likely to buy and people who are interested in what they have to say and then presenting that information for them. An interesting um, comparison, uh, Roundhead, that, that Twitter account has been around for uh, four years, and I have about 5,500 followers and I follow about 2,500 people. Lorraine Ball has been around for four months, and only has probably three or 400 people follow it, and I probably follow 150. So you would that that bigger account would have a higher clout, higher influence, look at all those people I'm connected to, and it's not true. The rainball actually has, and you can argue that clout is not the best measure of influence, but the rainball has a clout score that's probably 8 to 10 points higher than Roundhead. Why? Because the people that the rainball is connected to, is connected to uh, are all high influential people, and we actually talk to each other. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of engagement and back and forth conversation. And so, um, and I'm perfectly okay with those kind of two worlds, but it really goes to show that um, a small following of really engaged people is going to be way more valuable than just this kind of massive. Now, it does help that the Lorraine Ball account is connected to you and you've got thousands of followers and to Doug Carr and to Kyle Lacey and to some other very high-profile people so I can get visibility through those networks. And I think that's important. It's, it's a matter of who you influence. And if you influence somebody who just started on Twitter, uh, that doesn't have as much of an impact as if you influence somebody who's been on it for a while and, and has their own influence. And, and I think that is something that, that Cloud is starting to get right is measuring the right kind of influence, not just did you get a thousand people to click this link, but did you get the best people to click it? Mm -hmm. And I think 
it, in a way, it's really not any different than life in the real world. That the idea is that you will have influence if you are connected to influential people. Or you influence the right people. <clears throat> I uh, We told a story in the No Bullshit book. Um, my wife, when she first started using Twitter and first got on Cloud, her Cloud score is around 20, which is, you know now it's grown. But at the time that I was telling the story, she only had a Cloud score 20. Now, there are companies who buy perks on Cloud and will only give them to people if they have a high score. Regardless of what they do, it's, it's got to be a high score. Well, my wife not having that high score is still more influential, I think, than I am because she's got family who do things that she recommends. And the biggest case was five years ago, we bought a new car. We bought a Scion XB, a little toaster on wheels. <laughs> we loved it, thought it was awesome. And um, her parents liked the car so much that they went to the same dealer and each bought a Scion. My father-in-law bought the XB. My mother-in-law bought the XA, which was the, uh, the kind of sedan type of Scion. And then my sister-in-law and her husband also went to the same dealer and each bought an XA. So my wife, Clot Score 20, got four people to buy new cars. All from the same dealer, all the same yep. car, yes. Me, with the high Clot Score, I couldn't get people to go to the dealership, period. It is, uh, yeah, and I, I think there are different kinds of influence, and, and I think companies forget that sometimes, and they just look at numbers, and it's because it's easy. It's easy to look at just big numbers and go, oh, well, they have to be important. So going back to kind of that whole, uh, some of the other stuff from the no, the no Bullshit book, besides looking at who you're following and content, what other advice for business owners this year? What should they be focusing on in 2012 to improve their business presence on social media? I think they need to they need to understand that this is all about engagement and talking with the customers. But more importantly, they need to understand that this is a way to make money. This is we call it social media marketing for a reason because marketing makes money, and so you need to understand that this is going to be a money making channel, and then you need to figure out. How do I figure out how much money I make? You can figure that out. There are tools and mechanisms in place that let you figure out how much money you made off of your blog, how much money you made off of your Twitter uh, account, how much money did you make from Facebook. They should also be applying these metrics, and many of them don't, to how much money did you make from that trade show you went to? How much money did you make from that networking group that you've been in for three years and not gotten a single lead from? You do all these other things. Uh, measure those. Also measure social media. Okay. How about uh, giving us a couple of examples of ways to measure the effectiveness of your social media? Well, for uh, for a couple of clients, it's just a matter of for a couple of our clients, it's just a matter of turning on Google Analytics. Uh, it's a free tool. It will measure paths that people take. So if I write a blog post and send people to my my blog. Uh, through my through my different social networks, I send people to that blog. I can measure the path that they took once they got there. So, did they come into that page? Where did they come from? Uh, what path did they take? Did they follow to a second page? Did they follow a call to action and go to an order page? And did they place the order? Then we can match that data up with um, 
with our CRM software, like Salesforce. You can see that we got an order at 10.07, and we got somebody new in the Salesforce uh, database at 10.07. We can pretty safely conclude that that's that same person. And so then we can measure all those orders and see that this one blog post netted $5,000 in sales and added 18 people to our database. And we can conclude that that blog post is worth $5,000. You know, we have, um, even on a very simple level for some of our clients, we look at traffic, traffic sources. We also look at um, how many times people come to their contact page. And even if they don't fill out the contact form, one of the reasons people come to your contact page is just to um, find your phone number. So we, we use that as one of the measures. Did traffic specifically to your contact page increase? And then we also look at... How many times did people fill out the contact form, and and uh, and we measure that you know phase one conversion. Well, and you can even take that a step further and buy a Skype phone number from Skype.com, ten bucks or no, I guess thirty bucks now. Um, but you buy a unique phone number that you only put on that contact page, and you oh. see how many people called that number. And so you see that yeah, thirty people a month come to the contact page and 15 people call this Skype number that's only available on that page, we can pretty safely conclude that half the visitors called that number. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, because, yeah, uh, you know, they, it, that's the same strategy we used to use back in the, um, the Stone Age with Yellow Page advertising. Mm -hmm. You would have a different phone number on each page in the Yellow Page directory, so you would, you know, if you advertise in both the heating section and the cooling section if you were a contractor, um, and that phone rang, you knew exactly which ad they were looking at. Yeah, and that number usually costs you 30 to 50 bucks a month. We have a question. We have a question from our friend Troy Hanna. Hey, Troy. Hey, Troy. Um, he wants to know, since we're talking about cloud a little bit, how important is that? I know this is the whole show, which we have done, but just so you can touch on that briefly. Uh, cloud is... I'm not going to say it's real important. It's important that you give uh, free tickets to your show to anybody with a score over 55, Troy. <laughs> but um, it's not it's not the be-all, end-all influence measurement tool. There are new tools coming out. Uh, there's another one called uh, ProScore, I think it is. Yeah, that's getting some traffic. Another one called, uh, I want to say, Cred. Credly. Credly. K-R-E-D-L-Y. Mm -hmm. So there are, people are starting to measure influence and take it more seriously. And, and even though it's not a great measurement tool, uh, the numbers aren't as accurate, <clears throat> it at least shows trends. It shows that your, your influence is up, your influence is down. I try to pay more attention to the line than the number because if the line goes up, I'm doing something good. If the line has gone down, it means I'm not doing something. So. That's the best indicator. Unless, of course, they have completely um, redone their analytics and then they rebuild history. That's, that's the one thing about cloud that has made me crazy over the last year is when they change their analytics, they actually go back and adjust your history. I know that this account had cloud of 50 three weeks ago, and when they adjust the history, now it's showing 45, and so it, it does make yep. it hard to track. Um, we are uh, almost coming up on the two-minute warning for the show. Closing thoughts? I think the most important tool that you can get is going to be a blog. 
uh, and it's important that you be consistent with it. You you write at least once a week, write good stuff, and uh, just tell people about it. And you know, find the people who are, are most interested in what you have to say. Thanks to Google and thanks to the internet, you can find people who are interested in anything. Uh, oh yeah, my my favorite example is uh, there are a group of marble collectors. The little the little round balls they collect marbles and they get together for a whoa get together for a convention once a year in uh, Amana, Iowa. I stumbled upon them one day while we were driving to Des Moines and realized there's a marble collection group. And so now, thanks to the Internet, you can find each other. Back then when I found them, it was a complete accident. But now you can find each other, find websites and blogs and pictures and all this stuff. And so you can do that for any hobby you have, and this is a great way to share all of your Awesome. And if people want to find you, they want to find more about you, where do they go? Uh, I'm E. Deckers on Twitter. You can go to problogservice.com for my uh, social media writings and go to ericdeckers.com, E-R-I-K-Deckers.com for my humor writings. Thank you so much. Uh, the time has just flown. If you've enjoyed today's program and you'd like to learn more about networking, marketing, social media, be sure to check out our blog at www.roundpeg.biz. This has been an episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening. Thank you.